Uh, today I want to talk to you about something maybe a little different. I don't think I've ever preached it quite like this before. But you know, we always look up at other people. We look at role models. Yeah, you know, as growing up as a kid, you wanted to be, if you was a little kid, you might have wanted to be like Babe Ruth or Ty Cobb or, you know, um, depending on what era it is, maybe it was Britney Spears or, you know, whoever it is that's your idol. And you look up at them and you say, man, if I could just be like them. And you find yourself trying to sing like them, trying to talk like them, trying to walk like them, <clears throat> trying to do all the things that they do. But the truth of the matter is, the only one that is worth emulating is Jesus Christ. I remember when I was called to preach, I was in ninth grade of high school. Of course, I ran for about five years until, you know, after I got out of high school, got married, and joined the service, and the Lord, of course, I never outran him. He finally, uh, I come to grips with it sometime, you know, uh, about 19 years old, but, uh, and, and I, I was just running, and um, so when I finally answered the call to preach, you, what do you do? You, you look around at great preachers. And I, I was raised in a church with a great preacher, uh, Pastor Darrell Glass has gone on to be with the Lord now. But, and then uh, after, after him came uh, Pastor Ray Dawson, and both of them had long tenures there at the church. And I found myself studying, and I kind of studied like they taught me to study. And then I found myself preaching. I could actually hear Darrell Glass sometimes in my words and in my mannerisms and all of that. And, um, you know, because I looked up to them, and he was sort of a mentor and I suppose there's nothing wrong with being mentored. I mean, that's, you know, obviously we need mentoring. But to actually be like them, I come to the realization about two or three years later into ministry that God didn't call me to be Daryl Glass or Ray Dawson, but God called me to be Mike Sains. Amen? And today I want to just um, throw something out there. In this message, I want to share with you today uh, entitled, People Like Jesus. People like Jesus, and I just wonder how much like Jesus we really are. Now, now start with, we're going to say, well, start with, I ain't nothing like Jesus. Well, I know that you and I in this life ain't never going to measure up because we're not perfect. And I hate to mess with y'all, some of y'all. I know that lets you down hard. But you're not perfect. And some of you brothers said, amen, Pastor, go on and preach that. Amen. But anyway, we're not perfect. But here's what I do know. I know that when we were born, we were born self-centered. <clears throat> huh? It's kind of like, wham, wham, well, plug them up with a bottle. Huh? Wham, wham, well, change their diaper. You know, wham, wham, rock them some more. Do whatever. We're, we're born self-centered. And then later in life when we accept Jesus Christ, we literally become Christ-centered. We leave that self-centeredness and we become Christ-centered. And then if we served him for a period of time and he really begins to nudge our heart and pull at our heartstrings and, and we begin to find out why we truly got saved, we become others-centered. Because when I look at Jesus Christ, I find that Jesus was always thinking about other people. Now, if you know any self-centered people, don't look at them right now. If you know any of them that's ate up with meism, don't don't think about them right now. But I want you to understand that Jesus loved people, and he loved people regardless of their race, regardless of their affiliations, regardless of color or, or status or creed, any of those things. Jesus just loved people. In fact, he loved us so much. When we read Romans chapter five and verse eight, the Bible says that God 
committed his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. So Jesus looked at people and he saw good people and he saw bad people and he saw white people and black people and red people and Indian people and Asian people and he saw rapists and murderers and molesters and, and bankers and people that misappropriate funds and all. He saw all of them and he loved all of us. And he didn't just love us when we were good because there is none good, no, not one. But he loved us in spite of how marred and flawed we were. He loved us so much that he said, I will take off this robe of divinity and put on the robe of humanity and I will go down so that I might save men from their sins. He was always thinking that people, and then he was thinking about people so much that he was with his disciples one day and he said, I must needs go through Samaria. Why? Why? He, Lord, we, it's out of the way to go to Samaria. But Jesus knew that there was a woman there that had been with, you know, five husbands. And the one she was living with was not her husband. And if you had asked a bunch of church folks about it, we said, don't even waste your time. She's just, you know, one of them women of the night. She's just sort of shacking up. She's been with five men. And, and she don't even know who the baby daddy is. And That's kind of how a lot of the churchy people would look at it. But Jesus said, I got to go to Samaria. Why? I'm thinking about this one woman who has had five husbands, and the one she's living with is not her husband, but she's thirsty. And she's not thirsty for water out of Jacob's well. She's thirsty for living water that only comes from me. So I'm just asking you, do we think about people the way Jesus thinks about people? I'm going to just be the first to tell you that I don't think about people always the way Jesus thinks because after I've been done wrong two or three times, I'm kind of like, man, I ain't got no time for you. And the rest of y'all can admit that later, but that's just kind of how, you know, we feel sometimes. But, you know, Jesus is there with the woman at the well, and she said, you know, he says, uh, sir, give me uh, uh, a drink. And, you, you know, uh, he she said, sir, you ain't got nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. This comes out of John 4. And he said, well, woman, if you knew who it was who was asking you of something to drink, you'd ask of me, and I'd give you living water. She said, you mean I wouldn't have to come back here? He said, no, you don't, you don't really understand. And, you know, and he said, where's your husband? She said, I ain't got no husband. But, but he said, I know you had not got him, but, but you've had five, and the one you're living with is not yet. She said, Lord, sir, I, I perceive that you're a prophet. Anyway, so long story short, Jesus had sent his disciples into town. They went to buy some food. But Jesus just hung out because he knew he had a meeting with this person because this person, this indigenous person that nobody knew, and she came there at the hottest time of the day because she didn't want to be around all the other women whose husbands she might have been with. So women would come early to get the water before the heat of the day, but she came in the heat of the day so as to avoid people. You know how some of y'all come in late for church and leave early. That was free. But anyway, nonetheless, so, so, but, but they said, Master, later his disciples got back and said, uh, they asked him, would you, bottom line is, this is my ecology, would you just think about yourself for a moment? You hadn't eaten, Master. And Jesus said to them, hey, don't make this about me. I've got meat to eat that you don't even know about. Jesus was always thinking about other people. And then I think about the time that uh, he went to Jericho. He, he goes to Jericho, and he goes for a man by the name of Zacchaeus, who was a short little man, 
but he wielded a big sword of power. He worked for the IRS of that day. And Jesus comes walking in Jericho, and Zacchaeus had heard that he was coming to town, and so he knew he was a short man. He was really height-challenged. And, and so he climbed up into a sycamore tree so he could look down on Jesus and at least see him when he came under the tree. And Jesus come walking by, and for the first time in all of history, the Son of God looked up, and man looked down. And he says, Zacchaeus, I need to abide with you today. In other words, out of all the people in Jericho that I could have come to see, I come to see the tax man. And you and I probably wouldn't have been. We'd have said, that rich codger, he's already, you know, when I, when I was on, in the mountains this past week, I got a note on my door from the uh, assessors. They said, we have come by to look at your new building. Well, they didn't say the new building, but I understood what they meant. In other words, we're fixing to raise your taxes. Go figure. So, but Jesus, he comes to Jericho and decides, I want to go see him. I want to go see Zacchaeus. And so he goes to see him. And, and, and there, there's a great thing that happens that day because Zacchaeus, I don't even know the conversation. We don't know what Jesus said, but we know the result of what he said. Because when the meal was over and he got ready to say goodbye, Zacchaeus said, Lord, the ha this is a rich man talking. I want y'all to get this. Lord. Half of all my goods, I'm going to give to the poor now. And if I've taken anything from anybody, I'm going to give them back four times what I took. Jesus said to him, salvation has come to your house today, Zacchaeus. Why, how did we know that? Because look at the mindset that changed in a fairly wealthy man. Jesus was always thinking about people. Shortly before he was crucified, he said to some people in John 16 and 7, but very truly I tell you, you got to think, he is weeks away or days from being crucified. And you know what he's saying? He said, I want to tell you all something. It's necessary for you that I go away. He ain't thinking about bleeding or being beaten and, and all that. He said, but it's expedient for you that I go away because if I don't go away, I cannot send you the comforter. You know, he said, so it's expedient for you. And no, he's thinking about then. He said, if I go away, I'll send you the Holy Spirit. And then we, we find him at the Last Supper. You remember? The Last Supper. Guess what? Right after dinner or supper, <clears throat> they're going to come and arrest him. You know what he says at supper? He looks at Simon Peter and says, I've prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. Because Satan hath desired to have thee that he might sift thee as wheat. But I've prayed for you. And when thou art converted. Let me ask you all something. Wasn't Peter already saved? Jesus knew he was going to backslide. I know that flies in the face of some doctrine. But, but Jesus said, when you are converted, I want you to what? Strengthen your brethren. Jesus, moments before he would be arrested, was still thinking about other people. He wasn't thinking about himself. I'm telling you, it challenges the way we come to church in the modern era where we think i got to have my way. It's got to be my color. It's got to be my light. It's got to be my temperature. It's got to be my parking. It's got to be my this and my that. My God, help us think about the lost. Amen. Jesus died 
for the lost. And we think it's about my prerogative and my preference. Let me tell you, you are not kingdom-minded if you have to have my song, my way, my sermon, my this and my that. For God's sake, I'm already saved. I don't have to sing Amazing Grace or I'll fly away every Sunday. I don't have to have this or that or the other. I'm already in the boat. I am going. I am on my way. But there are people right now, and people say, well, Pastor, I had someone tell me this past week, you know, we, we're just so modern and so technological. Listen, we got five-year-olds running around with iPhones. And I'm going to tell you something, the flannel graph that Sister Carter used to put up on the flannel board when I was in second grade ain't working no more for this generation. And if you're going to think about people, you might better think about the process it's going to take to win this generation to the kingdom of God. Lord, have mercy. So let's go a little further. So he's arrested. And after, you know, after supper, they come to get him, and, and they, they do the mock trial, and they drag him to Caiaphas, and then they drag him to, to Herod and Antipas and, and different ones, and Pilate, and all the trial that goes on, and, and finally, they, they get their way, and they, uh, they, came, they take him out, and they beat him, and then they're going to crucify him. And as they, they, they've beaten him to a bloody pulp. His back is just laid open. Cat of nine tails. 39 lashes. They have just beaten him beyond recognition. And after they take this bloody pulp of this, this what's left of this man, and they stretch him out on this cross, stretch his arms out, and they, they nail his, his wrist down to the sides of the cross beam on both sides, and they cross his legs, and they nail his feet, and... As they're doing that, he looks up and he prays something. He says, Father, forgive them their trespasses. They know not what they do. In his dying moments, before he's raised up between heaven and earth, hanging there for you and I, he's still thinking about others. And then when they lift him up and drop him with a thud down into that, you know, and it tears his flesh, and there he is, and he's hanging, and just before he dies, he still thinks about somebody else. He says to John, John, he was standing there, John the beloved, the one that lay on his breast at, at supper. John was standing, and his mother Mary was there, and he said, John, behold thy mother. Mother, behold thy son. It was the charge to John that he would take care of his mother the rest of his life, and scholars say that he did. I'm saying that in the moments before he died, all the way to the end, he was thinking about other people. And it flies in the face of how we modern-day Christians live, and we want everything to be about us. And Jesus said, it was never really about me, although it's all about me. I'm thinking about others. I know it's hard to think of Jesus and Willie Nelson in the same sentence. Only common thread was the long hair, probably. But Willie sang a song years ago. I was a kid, and it said, you were always on my mind. And that's the way it was with Jesus concerning you. Even when you were doing things you knew good and well was wrong and was sin, you were still on his mind. 
He was still plotting and scheming and doing everything to try to reach you. You were always on his mind. And no matter what, it would just not get off of his mind that you were there. And and so I'm asking, if we're going to emulate anybody, if we're going to be like anybody, shouldn't we be like Jesus? Oh, goodness. I, uh, Lord, where does time go? It's so important that you know that that's all Jesus did was think about people. And why is that so important to know that? So that you don't become so self-absorbed. So that we don't become so self-important. So that we don't become so self-centered. You see, when, when we become self-centered, we live as though life is all about us. We're no longer kingdom-minded, but we're me-minded. Why did Jesus always have people on his mind? Because that's what he, he's the savior of the world. We... He, he come to give us life. He, here's what you, you got to understand this. I'll just make three points perhaps. He knew the heart of his father. Jesus knew the heart of his father. And that's why everywhere he went, he thought about people. You know, when he, um, he was in Gennesaret one day, and the people had followed him. He had done some miraculous things, and they wanted to make him king, but he didn't want nothing about being king. He said, it wasn't my time. But as the evening grew uh, closer, they were hungry, and the disciples said, we got to send them away. You remember me telling you this the other week? Uh, we got to send them away because it's getting late. The markets are closing. they got to eat. And Jesus said, why don't we just feed them? Have them sit down. And, you know, they took the boys' lunch. Jesus was thinking about people. When the scribes and the Pharisees tried to make it all about the law, Jesus turned it back to people and said the people are more important than the law. Uh, you know, I, I, I think about Luke 15. In Luke 15, we find the greatest concern for the lost. Jesus was about to tell three parables. The first one would deal with a lost sheep. And then the second one would deal with a lost coin. The third and most poignant parable he would uh, speak talked about a lost boy. And oh man, there's three nights of revival preaching right there. But, but be, before he told those three parables in Luke 15, he said something as a precursor in the first two verses, and I'll read it. Uh, or actually verse two, he says, the Pharisees said about Jesus, well, here it is. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. I had a guy ask me, I'll just leave him nameless. It was a pastor a year or so ago. We were starting to really see some serious growth and booming. The pastor said, how many of all them people are really saved that go to your church? Or you just got a big tribe of people. I said, you know what? I hope that they're saved, but I hope there's a bunch of them there that ain't saved. Because that tells me I'm reaching lost people. You know what? I don't want to haul water to the sea. The ocean's already full. So I need some sinners in here every single Sunday. I need some people that are like the woman at the well. I need some people like Zacchaeus, amen? I need some people that are lost and undone without God so that they can come in here and hear the gospel that'll change man. It is the power of God unto salvation for everyone that believes. Mm -hmm. 
So the heart of the Father, Jesus knew the heart of the Father. Lord, help me. He also knew the reality. He knew, Jesus knew better than anybody else, the reality of eternity. I want to tell you something. You may or may not like this, but there is a heaven and there is a hell. And saved people go to heaven and lost people go to hell. You can believe how you want to believe. It ain't going to change the fact. I know every time anybody dies, I read on Facebook, heaven gained another angel. person lived like hell all their life. Now, I'm not saying that they didn't get saved because I'm not their judge. Because they could absolutely accept Jesus Christ on their deathbed if they got time. We have the thief on the cross. Who did? But I am telling you the reality is this. If we die lost, Ezekiel says, the soul that sinneth shall die. Now what is the remedy for that? The blood of Jesus Christ. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We understand that, Romans 3 and 23. But if we accept the grace of God, and if we accept the blood of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice of what he did at Calvary, we do not have to go to a devil's hell. But it is a real place. It is a real place. And I'm afraid we don't preach it quite as hot as we used to. Jesus said, I tell you, whatever you do for the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Are you people-minded? Are, are we people-minded or, or is it all about me? I got to have it my way or the highway. Hello? I, it's got to be about me. Listen, Jesus knew the reality of hell. Hell is a real place. The Bible says Jesus told this story, and he said there was a man. He didn't say come hear this parable. He said there was a man. He talked about a rich man with a beggar laid outside his gate. The beggar's name was Lazarus, and one day he died. And the Bible says angels carried Lazarus. And by the way, let me address that angelology type deal. We don't become angels when we die, just so you know that. We don't become angels when we die. But angels carried Lazarus to a place called paradise at that time. And the Bible said in the process of time, the rich man died also and lift up his eyes in hell. Hell is a real place, my friends. It is a real place. So listen, if we really believe in hell, I believe we would witness stronger. I believe we would work differently. I believe we would serve harder. I believe we would be more faithful to the house of God and to the kingdom of God if we really truly believe that we're coming near to the end and there is a heaven and there is a hell. So what does your serving look like? Oh, I got to be people-minded? Oh, that's part of our vision here. To reach the lost wherever they are. To reach, to educate and to deploy them into kingdom service. So serving, you know, man, we, we're always looking for people to serve. Hello? You can drive on the parking lot. We're looking for people to serve. Huh? Sunday night at DSM, Driven Student Ministries, those from 13 to 19 uh, or 18, whatever that cutoff is, somewhere around adulthood. We're always looking for people to serve. But in the church of today, everybody wants to be served. You can be a difference maker 
by saying, hey, I'm going to be a person like Jesus. Jesus, you know what he did? He got up from supper that night. He girded himself with a towel, and he began to wash his disciples' feet. Everybody nowadays wants a big title and not a towel. The towel is a universal symbol of servitude. I don't know how many people would be willing to say, I want a towel. I'd rather be identified with a towel than I had be a title. Titles, ain't, they ain't worth nothing. It's what you do in the kingdom of God. Lord, have mercy. So what about your serving? What about your witnessing? What about your praying? Do you pray? What about your giving? I believe if we really believed in heaven and hell, serving would be different. I believe our effort to witness would be different. I believe our witness, I mean our efforts to give would be different. I believe our efforts for missions would be different. I believe our urgency for phase two would be different. I believe if we truly believe Jesus is coming and there's a heaven and there's a hell, it would change the way we live. third part is that Jesus knew the potential of people. Jesus knew the potential of people. Why did he save a wretch like me and you? Because he knew my potential. Why did he save Zacchaeus? Or, or you remember the widow from the city of Nain? You remember the woman, the, the, the prostitute that, that sort of come, come right on into Simon the Pharisee's house and poured oil on his feet and washed him and Simon the church guy, you know. Jesus, if you knew who it was, who was washing your feet, you'd tell him to quit. She's embarrassing us. Now, this is mycology here, but you read the story and get what you want. She's embarrassing us. And if you knew who it was that was doing this, you'd tell her to quit. And Jesus looked at him and said, Simon, I've got something to say to you. He said, because those who have been forgiven little love little. But those who have been forgiven much, love much. You don't understand. She was a lady of ill repute. You don't understand who she was and where she's come from. But I'm telling you, if we understood that there's a heaven and there's a hell, it would change the way we live and the way we look at people. Who else can take a greedy person and turn him into a man of generosity that'll give away half of his fortune and four times what he's deceived people out of? Who can take a woman with such a foul reputation, five husbands and the one she's, man, you can't even get licensed in the church of God with five husbands. But Jesus said, I can use that lost person. Stand with me if you will. Listen, Jesus thinks all things are possible with that person that I created in my power. If we can take my power and that person I created, if they'll submit to who I am, we can get past any kind of sin. We can get past any kind of setback. We can go beyond all that. And you know what? Everybody that come to Jesus, Jesus employed them to be a people person. He, he said, I, I want you to go tell others. So I want to ask you today, how, how is your skills? for reaching others. Lord, have mercy. Um, Pastor, why would I do that? Well, this is the approach, the approach that Jesus would employ. And that is he would say, we got to be about people. Doesn't matter where they're from. Doesn't matter what they look like, smell like, even act like. I 
can, I'm not saying that we condone that. I'm not saying you bring them into the church and let them live like hell and put them in position. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not talking about assimilation without transformation. Woo. But I'm talking about when they come to the house of God and they hear the anointed word of God and the spirit of God begins to tug at them. There is a drawing into the kingdom of God and it's going to set the sinner free. And when they are set free, they are free indeed. Amen. They're free indeed. And all of a sudden, they will run back to the community like this woman and say, come and meet a man that, that told me all I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? Lord, have mercy. With heads bowed, if you're here and you say, Pastor, I hadn't really lived like there's a heaven and a hell. And I've really been walking the fence. To be honest with you, I'm just lost. If that's you, it's only me and you. I just want you to take a moment, just sort of lift your hand right now. You're just telling, you're just acknowledging, Lord, I need you. God bless you. God bless you and you. Three hands. I see you go ahead. Four, five, six. Somebody else? Seven, eight, nine, ten. Wow. Wow. Just wow. Eleven. Wow. I'm lost. What I need you to do is this. Here's what Jesus said. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that God raised his son Jesus from the dead, you shall, not maybe, but you shall be saved. So you have heard the gospel message today. I didn't have to beg and plead with you. You've raised your hand. Eleven people raised their hand and said, Pastor, I'm just lost. So just pray this prayer with me, Father. Or Jesus, just come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. I need you. I can't do it on my own. Forgive me. There's a heaven. There's a hell. I need you. And so from this day forward, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to witness. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be a people person. Now, I know time is short, but if you're here right now, if you, if you accepted that, if you, if you prayed that prayer, I want you to fill out a hay card. I want to know about it tomorrow when the cards come in that you gave your heart to Jesus. You accepted him. And I want to see you serving. If you're here and you, you are saved, but you have not been serving as you ought to, I'd love to see a hay card tomorrow that says, Pastor, I'm ready to serve now. And I don't know if it's in the parking lot or serve coffee or serve at the VIP or be an usher, be a greeter. I don't know what it is, but I'm ready to do something in the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name.